allow me to open us in prayer. Uh, dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this morning. Indeed, it is a chance for us to come together to open your word. And may we never, never, never forget that it's only by grace that we can read your word and understand it. And by grace, you've given us a special revelation of who you are through your son, Jesus. And where else can we to go to find words of eternal life but in you alone? So we open our minds and our hearts as we read your words together and so that we can be transformed into your image. I saw this in Jesus' name. Amen. So today, Bible's passage taken from Luke chapter 24. So I'll be going through the entire passage. So it'd be good if you can keep your Bibles open. And some of the slides uh, over there will highlight the, some verses that we'll be focusing on. But it's important for you to keep your Bibles open. So in my first job after my graduation, I worked in a civil service. And my main task was to bring in foreign investments, investments from overseas companies, from multinational corporations into Singapore. And this is our national efforts to create jobs. So I would spend many, many hours calling these companies, writing emails to them, meeting up with them to encourage them to invest more in Singapore, to build more factories, more research laboratories. And sometimes, my schedule in a day will be about five to six meetings a day for five days a week. And every evening, every weekend, you will spend time clearing more emails and writing more reports. I was a civil servant. I wasn't a civil serpent. I did not jatsua. I did not eat snake. So you can imagine that my schedule is rushing from point A to point B all the time, from place to place in Singapore, from meeting to meeting, and often I'll arrive at meetings just on time and sometimes slightly late. And so on one occasion, I was slightly late. And I knew that my MNC counterparts were already waiting for me in the meeting room. So the moment I arrived at the entrance of the company, I rushed towards the receptionist to check which meeting room I need to go to. And while walking very quickly and opening my mouth to greet the receptionist, I met with a rude shock. Something very hard hit my face and my nose and caused my teeth to bite into my lips. There was loud bang when all this happened. And then groggily, I realized I had walked right into the glass door of the MMC. It took me quite a few minutes to recover from the shock. I had to go to the washroom first to wash the blood out of my mouth. And later during the meeting, I had to cover my mouth as I talked because I was still bleeding. And throughout the meeting, I could tell my counterparts they were stifling a laughter. And after the meeting, when I got back to office, I saw an email thanking me for the meeting. And it also said, P.S. Next time, we will tell our auntie not to clean the door so well. You see, my friends, what was the lesson learned? In Singlish, why was I so blur? Why I didn't see the glass right in front of my nose? And the reason is because I wasn't expecting the glass to be there. And so we read the same thing in today's Bible passage. See, to recap the story that we read so far, Jesus was accused of things he did not do. 
for the by the religious leaders and the political leaders in Jerusalem because they wanted to get rid of Jesus. Why? Because he was rising his popularity, because they were angry against him for pointing out their hypocrisy. So they manipulated the crowd. So they worked with the authorities, the Roman governor, Pontius Pilate, to crucify Jesus. And after his death on the cross, one closet disciple came out, took down his body and put it in a new tomb. And because it was just before the Sabbath, the other disciples could do nothing but watch this all happen. And so they left the body in the tomb there. But by the third day, you can imagine that the body was smelled very badly. And so we read in 24 verse 1, that on the first day of the week, after the Sabbath, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. You see, the women prepared the spices, bought them with their own money, and rushed in the tomb first thing in the morning so that the body would not smell bad. And they did all these because they were not expecting Jesus to rise from the dead. The dead remains the dead in his tomb. So when my own father passed away, even when the funeral company gave me what we call a pastoral discount, it still wasn't cheap. If I had known or if I thought that my father would rise from the dead, I wouldn't spend a single cent on the funeral, not to buy the coffin just to burn it because it would have been a waste of money. The women disciples of Jesus bought the spices and the perfumes, prepared them well and went to the tomb because they were not expecting Jesus to rise from the dead. The whole resurrection account then was not a result of wishful thinking. In fact, when they arrived, they saw that the stone entrance of the tomb had been rolled away. And when he entered the tomb, it was empty. They did not find the body there. And suddenly, two men in bright dancing clothes stood beside them. And this must have been shocking. The frightened women bowed down to the ground. But these two men, they were angels, they explained to us in the passage. And they were gleaming in heavenly light. They rebuked the women. And this is what they said in Singlish. Why are you so blurred? You don't go to the cemetery to look for living people. Only dead people are here. And Jesus is not here. He has risen from the dead. Don't you remember? You forgot what he said already. And what did Jesus say before his death? We read in verse 7, The Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. And what was the women's response? You look at the Bible in verse 8. The women remembered Jesus' words. It was a light bulb moment. The women recalled the words of the Lord Jesus where he predicted his death on the cross and his resurrection from the dead. Not just once, but many, many times. In the book of Luke, it recorded for us three times. The first passage, Luke 9, 21, verse 22, Jesus strictly warned them not to tell this to anyone. And he said, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and he must be killed 
and on the third day be raised to life. The next passage in Luke 9, 43-44, While everyone was marveling at all that Jesus did, he said to his disciples, Listen carefully to what I am about to tell you. The Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. And the third prediction in Luke 18, verse 31-33, Jesus took the twelve aside and told them, We are going up to Jerusalem. And everything that is written by the prophets about the Son of Man will be fulfilled. He will be delivered to the Gentiles. They will mock him, insult him, and spit on him, and they will flog him and kill him. On the third day, he will rise again. So let us step back and ask the question, why then did the women not expect the resurrection? In their great grief, They were mourning the loss of Jesus. And why did they grieve? They grieved because of their great love for their master. Let me quote from the latest TV series, WandaVision from Disney+. Plus. It says here, What is grief if not love persevering? A spoiler in this story, the man on the right is Vision and he is artificial intelligence person. And for him as an AI robot, a computer, he has no one to love. And because he has no one to love, he could not grieve anyone, grieve for anyone. Those without anyone to love cannot grieve. Because love is grief is love persevering. And those who experience the loss of loved ones before, they know how deep such grief can be. Grief, if you have gone through it, it comes in waves. It overwhelms your entire mind and your body. You cry uncontrollably. And these women, they truly loved Jesus. Luke recorded for us that they were there weeping when Jesus was paraded in the streets with the cross after being flogged. The women were there witnessing the entire crucifixion process. And they were there too when Joseph and Arimathea took down the dead body of Jesus and placed it in a tomb. They followed Jesus from their hometown Galilee all the way to his death because they loved him. And in their great grief, it never occurred to the women that Jesus could be resurrected. It was not what they were expecting. So how then did the women responds to the angel's reminder. Verse 8, it says, then they, reminded, then they remembered Jesus' words. See, just like all things in life, the women get it. And so they came back from the tomb and reported what they witnessed to the others, including the men. And did the men get it? No, as all things in life. In fact, their first reaction was to think that the women were speaking nonsense, that it was fake news. They did not believe that Jesus had resurrected because like the women, they were not expecting the resurrection. Despite given multiple pre-advanced, multiple advanced notice by Jesus. As usual, the men don't get it. But Peter, however, in verse 12, he ran to the tomb. He was 
open to the idea. He was willing to entertain the possibility of the resurrected Christ, fulfilling the words of Jesus' own prediction. Why? Maybe because Peter himself, he remembered how Jesus predicted his own denial three times that whatever Jesus said will come true. And perhaps this is possible. So he ran to the tomb, but he did not see a resurrected Jesus. He only saw strips of barrel cloth with no body of Jesus. What could this mean? He wondered. And so now we fast forward the story to two male disciples who were walking on their way to a village called Emmaus in verse 13. And walking on this seven-mile journey from Jerusalem, that's about 11 kilometers, they were talking about the recent events, unable to make head or tail of what had happened. So in verse 15, they were very deep in the discussion and Jesus himself appeared, came up and walked along with them. He was right in front of their noses, but they did not recognize him. And then the joke is they were talking nonstop about him. So verse 16 says that they were kept from recognizing Jesus, which means that there was no reason they could not recognize the resurrected Christ. It was not because Jesus was so transformed physically that he was beyond recognition, that he had a new hairdo after his death. No, something or someone kept the disciples from recognizing him. And we shall see later what was preventing them from, do, from doing so. In verse 17, we continue, Jesus asked them, What are you discussing about? And one of them, Cleopas, replied. And his reply to Jesus in Singlish is, Why are you so blur? Where were you? Everyone in Jerusalem knows about the headlines. Are you the only blur one? No, it's one thing to be blur. It's another thing to tell your boss that he's blur. But Jesus, he played along. Like the undercover boss, he asked, what headlines? What happened? And so they replied, about Jesus of Nazareth. You know, a prophet of God, powerful in word and deed. And he was crucified because our religious leaders and our political leaders handed him over to the Romans. It's so sad, bro. We really, really hope that he was the one to save us to save Israel from the oppression of Rome. But he died on the cross. So I remember a time when I was a young man traveling in Europe before I was a Christian. And together with a friend, we traveled from France to Cologne, a city in Germany, because we had some Singaporean friends there. And our friends wanted to wait for us to arrive. And so at Paris, we purchased the train tickets from an automated teller. And we boarded the train. And that's how a ticket would look like. And our friends were waiting for us to arrive by 6 a.m. the next day. The tickets is very detailed. Yes, the place of embankment, the destination, the time, and everything else clearly spelled out. And so when 6 a.m. arrived, while on the train, we woke up from our sleep. But the train was still moving. And then I double-checked the train ticket. You see, yes, we were on the correct train number and the train was supposed to stop at 6 a.m. but it kept on moving and moving and moving. That was when we realized something was wrong. And so the moment the train stopped, I quickly opened the carriage door and I jumped out 
in my blurness, because I thought that we have reached Cologne to see our friends. But when I landed, I felt something was wrong. You see, I was not standing on the train platform. My feet felt cobblestones, like those stones between train tracks. Then, the train started to move again. And so I called to my friend who was still on the train and say, jump! I told him, jump! Don't leave me alone. And so he jumped with his haversack and then he joined me on the rail tracks. And just as the moment we realized we were standing between two train tracks and there was another train coming from the opposite direction. And so we stand there, two of us, holding on to each other, clinging on to dear life as the two trains passed by us and suddenly my entire life flashed before my eyes but it was very boring. It's either PSLE or not, it will be O-level, then A-levels, right? And both of us just caught between two moving trains and the train drivers were sounding the train horns when they realized that two silly China men were standing between two moving trains. And But fortunately, we survived 15 seconds later from this crazy stunt. And my friend forgave me from asking him to jump. And then the sun started rising. Two of us walked and walked in the middle of nowhere. Somewhere in Europe, to this day, I have no idea where we were. It just didn't make sense. We boarded the correct train according to the ticket. The destination was marked correctly, and yet we were lost. It just didn't make sense. So for the disciples, it just didn't make sense to them. Jesus was performing all the correct miracles. He healed many. He cast out demons. He even raised the dead. All the signs were pointing to Jesus as the Messiah, the promised Savior of Israel, the King who will rule forever, the hope of Israel. They were hoping for what? That Jesus would be the one to lead them to overthrow the Romans, starting from Jerusalem. So they no longer be bullied by foreign rulers paying taxes to them, being forced to pray to those gods they don't like, and being forced to embrace the unclean culture and the unclean, horrible-sounding languages. The disciples thought they had read the signs and the miracles correctly, and yet now Jesus was dead. The authorities crushed the leader of this new movement. There was no more hope of restoring Israel to his own rule. And yet, something more puzzling had happened. Verse 21b, it says here, And this is the third day since all these took place. And guess what? Some of our women bought news about Jesus' missing body. And the vision of angels who said he was alive. And some of us went back to check it out. And the tomb was empty like reported, but they did not see Jesus. And what was Jesus' reply to them? Why are you so blurred? Verse 25, he said to them, How foolish you are! How slow to believe all the prophets had spoken! Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all scriptures concerning himself. It was not that the disciples misread the signs, my friends. Yes, the mighty deeds of Jesus were signs that he was the Messiah. But the disciples missed out the other signs, that the Messiah had to die and to rise from the dead. 
So did the disciples finally recognize Jesus? How did he open their eyes? Let's continue reading. Verse 28. As they approached the village Emmaus, they invited Jesus to stay with them. And in verse 30, Jesus took bread, blessed it, gave thanks, and broke it. And then he began to give it to them. At this moment, the penny dropped. Verse 31, Then their eyes were opened and they recognized him. Jesus' action of blessing, breaking, and giving their bread reminded them of two incidents. Firstly, they saw how he broke bread and gave it and fed, miraculously fed 5,000 people from just five loaves. No one on earth had done that before except Jesus. And secondly, at the Last Supper, when he broke bread and gave it to his apostles, he explained that the bread was his body given to them. He explained that he's now the new Passover lamb, the one to be sacrificed for the salvation of the world. No one had said that. No one had done that before except Jesus. And now all these triggered within the disciples, their memories. And just when they recognized Jesus, he disappeared from their sight. And they asked each other in verse 32, were not our hearts burning within us when he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? So what did they do? The two of them got up quickly that evening, left Emmaus and returned to Jerusalem, walking the same 11 kilometers back. Because the news was so important. Then they found the rest, including the apostles, and they excitedly confirmed with them that Jesus was alive, just as the women had said. And not only did they see him, they felt him in their hearts too. Now back to the story of jumping off the train. Now my friend and I, we were walking, we kept walking in the general direction towards some urban areas. And thankfully, by the morning was over, before the morning was over, we reached a small town with a train station. And the good news is there was a train scheduled to depart from that town to Cologne in less than 30 minutes. But the bad news is they don't accept Visa cards. Only MasterCard. And I had only Visa. So you can see a slide over there. I'm not lying to you. Some countries don't accept Visa cards. You're off the slide. But with no Visa card and no local currency, what did we do? So as the saying goes, when in Rome, do what the Romans do. So we boarded the train without a valid ticket. And we sat down, hoping that we were not discovered. And at the moment we sat down, a train inspector appeared. And he made his way towards us. And I tried to sink in my chair as slow as possible. But naturally, he saw my tall, skinny frame and my curly hair. So he asked for my train tickets. And we showed him the train tickets we bought in Paris. All in French. He looked at it. Then with a stern face, he told us, move to the front of the train. It was quite embarrassing, so we had to take out our bags and our hearts were equally heavy. And we walked to the front of the train. In my mind, we were filled with shame. We were walking away from our seats like criminals, moving towards a place of judgment where we must pay for the fine. But we only had visa cards. But as we kept walking from cabin to cabin, we noticed there were less and less passengers. And then finally, we reached the end of the train. There was still no one there except us. And then we saw the train seats. It was more comfortable. 
and our eyes were opened. We have been upgraded to first class. From criminals to first class, the change was too drastic. We were just overwhelmed with joy. Two young men, we threw down our bags, we were jumping up and down in a train. For a long while, we couldn't believe our eyes that we got upgraded for free. And while the disciples were still talking about the resurrection, now Jesus appeared among them and said to them, Peace be with you. And what was their reaction? Initially, they were startled. They thought they saw a ghost because they were not expecting the resurrection at all. Then they looked at Jesus and they touched his hands and his feet and they realized that this was not a ghost. He had a body. It was the resurrected Lord. And verse 41, the disciples simply could not believe in this. They were jumping for joy. They were too overwhelmed with joy and amazement and from a lost cause to Jesus' return, now there's a new hope again. It was unbelievably good. And so to confirm himself that he was well and alive, Jesus asked for something to eat. And he ate in their presence something that ghosts cannot do. Then Jesus spoke to them. In verse 44, he said to them, This is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the Lord of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. This has been the same message given by Jesus again and again to the disciples, that according to all of Scripture, He was the Messiah and He has to come to die, to suffer, and to rise again. But why, we ask, why did the disciples not get the message despite multiple predictions? So last year, a Singaporean man went online to order a lychee martini cake. I'm not sure if you've heard of this. He, went, he wanted to clarify in an online shop, he showed a slide, that how the cake will be collected. It's a bit small there, but he's put the words in a message box. It says, will be collected by Albert. But surprisingly, when Albert picked up the cake, he clicked, this is what he saw. The words on the cake says, will be collected by Albert. On the cake were the words nicely written. There was no spelling error. So tell me, why is this communication breakdown? Why is there one? Because the man ordering online, he thought the message box was a message for the shop about the collection. But the bakers, when they saw the system, the message, they thought there were the words to be written on the cake. It was exactly the same message, but it was sent and received with different intentions and different expectations. Okay, close that slide. So similarly, the disciples heard Jesus' death and resurrection many times, but they had not had the mind of Jesus. They did not have the intentions nor the expectations of Jesus when they heard those things. In another account, it's made it clearer for us, in Mark chapter 8, Jesus asked his disciples who they thought he was. And Peter replied, you are the Messiah, correct? And Peter had the title of Jesus correct. Then Jesus began to teach that he as a Messiah must suffer and be killed and rise again from the dead three days later. And what did Peter do? After he heard that, he pulled Jesus aside and rebuked him. 
And in the end, Jesus rebuked Peter in return saying, you do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Let me say again, you do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. That, my friends, is the reason why they could never recognize Jesus in his resurrection. Because they were filled their thoughts with their own concerns of what the Messiah should be. And it's a very different idea of the Messiah that Jesus had himself. For the, for the disciples and the rest of Israel, they wanted a Messiah to solve their life problems, to improve their life circumstances. One who would be powerful enough to restore the glory of Israel by removing the Roman conquerors, defeat the Romans who tax them, the idolaters who impose on them their culture and their religion. That was the idea of Messiah. But for Jesus, the problem of Israel was not the Roman oppression. Far from rescuing Israel from the Romans, Jesus prophesied that the Romans will come one day to destroy Jerusalem, to tear down the temple of God. It was in complete opposite direction of the expectations. So what exactly did Jesus come to do instead? He blessed the bread, he broke it, and he referred himself as a lamb of God, the Passover lamb promised by God to die for the sins of the world, to pay for all the mistakes of our life. By Jesus' death on the cross and his resurrection, we are transformed. We are upgraded from criminals to first class. That is what Jesus has come to do. And in order to see who Jesus really is, we need to ask ourselves, do we really understand and believe that we are sinners as people who are always in need of God's forgiveness for the wrongs that we have done and the wrongs that we shall do. We need to learn by the disciples that the biggest problem in life is not Rome, but we ourselves. We are our biggest problem. We need to see that no matter how hard we try, whether it's religion, whether it's self-help books, whether it's discipline, we can never stop ourselves from sinning. We need to accept that we are desperate and we need a saviour. And there is no point, no matter how tempting it is at the moment, to blame anyone or anything the reason why we sin. And this is the painful message not something that we like to hear. This is why the disciples never expected the death and resurrection of Jesus. It did not fit into their ideas of who the Messiah and what the Messiah should be. Their blurness, our blindness, cannot be removed by human strength. Like them, we need Jesus to open our minds and our eyes to remove our blurness our blindness. Verse 45, Then he opened their minds so they could understand the Scriptures. And what is the message of Scriptures? 
verse 46, the slide, he told them, this is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. The repentance from the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. So what can we learn today, my friends? Firstly, the death and resurrection of Jesus, they were not accounts made up by disciples because of their wishful thinking. No, they never expected it. They never wanted it. None of them wanted to believe in this account of the Messiah. Also, there are books and volumes and volumes written to provide evidence both from the Christian perspective and from a non-Christian perspective for the death and resurrection of Jesus. This is not a myth with religious motives. This is a historical event. It actually happened. No other belief system or worldview staked itself on the resurrection from the dead. Yet sometimes, despite showing all the historical evidence and the logical evidence and the scriptural proof, maybe among us, there are still those who could not believe in Jesus rising from the dead. But we have to ask ourselves, maybe because, like the disciples, our disbelief, our unbelief, could be due to the fact that Jesus, the Messiah, does not fit into our idea of what the Saviour of the world should be. Or maybe because we don't think we need to be saved in the first place. We don't need to be forgiven. If there is a case for us, I would gently suggest that let today, the Easter Sunday, be the day that we ask and pray to Jesus to ask Him to open our minds because it is a supernatural spiritual act because Jesus was patient and gentle with his disciples. He spoke to them in a way they could understand. So we can ask humbly, ask him to help us in our unbelief, and he will. And secondly for us, for those who claim that you see clearly that Jesus has removed your blurness, what does this mean for us? Verse 48, he says, you are witnesses of these things. I'm going to send you what my Father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. So Jesus is saying, for those that he has removed their blurness, their blindness, he will give them the Holy Spirit, the power to live the lives that he has given them. It means that those who have trust in Jesus' death on the cross to pay for their sins, they no longer live for themselves, but they live for the one who has died and rose from the dead. You see, life is no longer about our plans to solve life problems. Why? Because Christ has risen, my brothers and sisters. He is bigger than your problems. We do not have to fear it. And our life is also not to have plans to succeed, uh, according to Steve Jobs, to make a dent in the universe. Instead, as disciples of Jesus, we need to learn to let God to give us a knock on our heads so we learn to live for His plans revealed to us day by day. 
So I remember when I first dated my wife Esther before I married her. So our first official date, I showed her my five-year East Coast plan. I mean my five-year plan. It was done in Excel, complete with a color-coded GAN chart. And a few weeks back, my wife reminded me that, excuse me, none of your five-year plans will realize. <laughs> Indeed, God has better plans for me. You see, what makes me think that somehow I plan, my plans will be realized? Because I can't save myself. And what makes me think that even if I do get all my plans realized, my life will be complete because I one day too will die and they mean nothing. What has God planned for me? I did not plan to struggle with anxiety attacks for more than four to five years, leading me to trust in God more. I did not plan for my father's salvation before he passed away. And I did not plan for God to give me the privilege to witness his baptism. I did not plan to have two children when we were struggling with childlessness. And when I look back even more, I did not plan to become a Christian, let alone a pastor preaching to you today. We cannot domesticate Jesus, my friends, to be a genie to fulfill our plans for our mini worlds. He is way too big. He's the ruler of all nations. The question is, what are his plans for the world? And will we truly surrender to his plans? In 1959, Lee Ha-jin, South Korean, born in an atheistic family, from young, Ha-jin hated the Japanese. He learned in school that the Japanese conquered Korea and killed over how many Koreans? Six million during 35 years of Japanese occupation. And like the Romans, the Japanese banned Korean language newspapers. Schools were allowed to teach only Japanese. Koreans were not allowed to celebrate their traditional festivals. Hajin told himself, I will never forgive the Japanese for what they did. And in the 1970s, Hajin's family had plans, plans for a better life. They migrated to America. But little did Hajin know that God had other plans for him. In a new country, he made new friends and it turned out that some of them were Christians. And so he started attending church. Then he learned more about Jesus through Bible studies and then he developed a strong interest in missions. He prayed firstly for his parents' salvation. He prayed for 19 years. And he was leading mission teams from the US to Thailand and to South America. And as a mission team leader, his number one rule is this for his trips, no complaining. Then one day, his pastor asked him to help the church to lead a team to you know where, to Japan. Ajin was angry. He could never take the gospel of Jesus to Japan. His heart was filled to the brim with hatred for the Japanese. His pastor advised him, just, just pray. Before you reject the task, just pray. Hajin prayed and then he unwillingly, unwillingly relented. So he led a team to Japan 
And then we saw the elderly Japanese there suffering from old age and all problems. He thought, serve you right. This is for all that you have done to my people. And he broke his number one rule for mission trips. He complained. He complained to God. Why you bring me here? So hot, so humid. I really hate this place. But just as how Jesus was gentle and patient with his blurred disciples, he was gentle and patient with Hajin. He brought a young Japanese girl in the conference there, came to Hajin, and she apologized to him for all the sufferings that Japan had inflicted to Korea. She pleaded with Hajin with all her heart, come back to Japan again, come back, because Japan needs to learn about Jesus. When Hajin heard the heartfelt apology and request, he was so moved he couldn't reply, he ran out of the room and he started to cry. He wept his heart out. He repented before God for his prejudice and his hatred towards the Japanese people. And since 1999, Hajin's family moved to Japan to live among them, to share them the good news of God's love and forgiveness with the people he once hated. My brothers and sisters, this is a photo of Li Hajin. Hear the words of our Lord Jesus. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in His name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. What are the plans that God has for us? God invites us to participate in His Son's mission. Wherever He has placed you today or wherever He will lead you tomorrow. The missions of Jesus was not given to us so that we can have an extra badge of honour or a feather in our cap. It's for our own growth. It's for our own healing. For us to learn to forgive. For us to learn how to love. So that we can abandon our selfish and childish plans for our own happiness and to surrender to God's plan for His glory among the nations. If you look at world history, there's only one word, meaningless. We are all born, work, grow old, and die. Whatever you achieve today, nobody will remember. But Jesus came and died on the cross and rose again from the dead to turn that all around. Now, world history is no longer cyclical. There's a beginning, there's an end. There's a perfect plan for you and I to be part of. We are saved by Jesus from being preoccupied with merely human concerns to have in mind the concerns of God. This was what we are saved for, so that we won't have meaningless life. And to participate in God's mission, we need His power from on high, because we can no longer open the eyes of others to see clearly who Jesus is, just by our own eloquence or our intelligence. Only God can. And because honestly, 
we too are unwilling to let go of our plans, to embrace God's plans for us wherever He has placed us. We need God's power through the Holy Spirit to change our hearts too. So down today, at Easter Sunday, the question left for us to answer is this. Are we willing to pray for God to give us new eyes to see Him clearly as the Saviour of the world? And are we willing to ask Jesus to put in our hearts new desires to desire what He desires? Let us go to God in prayer. Our dear Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your grace. We thank You that You are so patient and gentle with us. That even though we are so blurred in our own lives, thinking that we are winning and succeeding in all that we do, but in the end, it's pure futility, chasing after the wind. We thank You for dying on the cross to bring us forgiveness for our sins, to upgrade us from bringing sinners to saints, to be people who know we are dearly loved by You and we wash clean, no longer meaningless lives to participate in Your mission. So we pray, Lord, that You open our eyes truly and may this Easter Sunday change our lives as we remember what You have done for us and how You have risen from the dead. And we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.